Good morning. Good to see all of you here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you would, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We want to read verses 17 through 24 as we continue to make our way through this book. The sermon series is called Basic Christianity. We see here in Ephesians, Paul breaking down the core elements of the Christian faith. We come to verses 17 through 24 of Ephesians chapter 4. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us pray. Lord God, you are the God of truth, and you tell us the truth about humanity, about where we came from before Christ, but where we have come now in Christ, who we were, who we are, who we should be. We pray that you would show us clearly these things this morning from your word. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Immediately we see that Christianity is not a win in Rome type of religion. This is not, the Christian faith is not, well, just do what you feel. It's not conform to the surrounding society. But rather, we see that as Christians, we are to stand out. We are to shine like stars, as Paul says in another epistle he wrote, Philippians chapter 2. To conform to the world, that would be a deadly error for a Christian. But rather, we are to conform to Christ. We saw last week that that is the great goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ, to be conformed to His image, that God has thoroughly equipped His church with everything that we need in order to fulfill that goal, or at least to pursue it with everything that is within us. Now, Paul takes a little detour here. He's done this before, back in Ephesians chapter 2. He walked us through the carnival of filth that was our former life. A very bleak picture there. 
This picture here is just as bleak. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Paul has focused intensity here. He says, I say and I testify in the Lord. This is a solemn charge that Paul is presenting here. And he, again, is going to contrast the Christless life, that is the life that does not have Christ, with the life that does has, have Christ, which is supposed to be a Christ-like life. Which will it be? And again, only in our heart of hearts can, are, are, do we make this decision. Will your life be one that is Christ-less, or will it be a Christ-like life? Hence the title of this lesson this morning. You see, living with Christ and living for Christ means that Christians have a new lifestyle that is vastly different than their former one. And so Paul says here, again, this solemn charge, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. If you're working with uh, the King James, I believe it says, as the other Gentiles. The reality is Paul is writing to, to a church that is composed of Jews and Gentiles. They've been reconciled into one body. We've seen this back in chapter 2. And now he is using the Gentiles here, this, this phrase, the Gentiles, to describe non-Christians. And there is a way of life, a way of living your life. That's the idea here of walking around. That belongs to the, the unchristian, the non-Christian life. He says, you must no longer walk. Which, again, assumes you used to walk this way, but no longer. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we get the first distinction here between the Christless and the Christ-like life. In the futility of their minds. The word that Paul uses here for futility is the word that is used uh, over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. When the, the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into the Greek language, the word that they used for vanity is the same word that Paul picks up here and uses for futility. So, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the wise man in Ecclesiastes. Well, here's Paul, he grabs hold of that and says, that's, that's right. For, for the, the non-Christian, those who are outside of Christ, all there is is vanity. One writer said, life is vain, futile, without purpose, unless it is ordered around God and His purpose. You see, life without God as the focus, life without the fear of God as the foundation for life. Paul says here it is it's futile. And you notice that futility has an impact on our cognitive abilities. It is futility in the mind. Our thinking is impacted by sin and by a life disconnected from Christ. The results of the faulty thinking here, it impacts the mind about how we live. And, and we see this play out in the secular worldview, which is a Christless worldview. The very assumptions, the things that they take for granted, lack proper foundations. 
And you end up with a worldview that is standing with both feet firmly planted in midair. We are still surrounded by a culture, by a society that is, has largely abandoned God, any semblance of godliness. Very rapidly, American society is loosing itself from the moorings of its founding upon at least Judeo-Christian principles and values, if nothing else. And it is drifting further and further into the sea of secularism, which is really drifting further and further into the sea of the futility of their minds. So much of the thinking today is wrapped up in futile, useless, vain things. Don't believe me, just go to the grocery store and stand in the checkout line and see all of the, the, the tabloids there. Don't believe me, just go on social media and see how much of the things that people post and share really doesn't amount to very much at all. It's wrapped up in, I don't know, pictures of food. Do you remember doing that before social media? Right? Did you carry around a camera and every time you put together a meal, did you take a picture of it? And then take those Polaroids around and see what I had? Why do we do that? Right? That's, or it's tied up in celebrity gossip. I mean, talk about just vanity of vanities. How vapid, how vain. So much of, of our thinking in American society and American culture is just futile. And again, we see it impacts the mind. There is a word for thinking, a synonym for it. It's called mused, muse. You know, you, you used to, when you would think, you would, you would engage in musing. What's fascinating is we live in a society that is absolutely captivated by amusement. And the, that prefix there, A, is a prefix of negation. We are tied up in distractions from our distractions to keep us from thinking. Anything to keep us from thinking. Because again, when you give any thought to a life that is disconnected from Christ, where does it lead? bleak, it's dark, it's without purpose. It is nihilistic. Again, this is the first consequence, the first distinction between a Christless and a Christ-like life. But then it gets worse. I mean, if, if the futility of our thinking, the futility of our minds wasn't enough, Paul goes on, he says, they are darkened in their understanding. Wow. Twice blinded, as it were. Dark and again, notice the, 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 the cognitive terms here. The mind, the understanding, this, this has to do with our thinking. And so not only is it futile, it's also darkened. Someone has said this points to a lack of spiritual discernment. We're, we're, we're groping in darkness, looking for something, trying to fill that God-shaped hole in us, as it were. But all that remains, so long as we remain disconnected from Christ, is darkness. And in fact... It doesn't come across very well in the English, but Paul is actually compounding this. He's accentuating the perpetual or the continual aspect of being stuck in this darkness. That there is uh, something that reaches right down to the core of our being. 
where our condition is such that we are absolutely without understanding. And again, all this, all this flies in the face of conventional thinking and experience, right? Think of all the brilliant people who have lived who, you know, they, they weren't Christians. Smart, smart guys. But again, this, this shows uh, the, the foundation of people's thinking. What is it that you will base your worldview on? Is it going to be based upon what you experience and what you perceive? Or is it going to be rooted in the Word of God and what God says about the condition of people? You may be a mathematician, genius, may be a brilliant engineer, able to send a rocket to Mars or what have you. But if you do not have Christ, darkness in your understanding, futile in your thinking. But worse, he goes on, verse 18, alienated from the life of God. Again, a third distinction here. And again, this, this strikes right at the spiritual condition of a person whose life is Christless. God is the only source of life. All life comes from Him. But here, Paul says, if you do not have Christ, you are alienated. You are separated from that. You, have, you are separated from the source of life. You may have physical life, but there's no spiritual life. You may be physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. This describes the, the condition of the widow in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5 that Paul talks about. A woman who, although she's alive, she's spiritually dead because she's going after the wrong things. When in fact she should devote her attention to Christ. Alienated from life. They lost the life, it eludes them still so long as they remain disconnected from Christ. And now we get a bit of the explanation as to how this came about. It is because of the ignorance that is in them. And ignorance here is not a derogatory term. It's, it's descriptive of the fact that they, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know God. Uh, they don't know Christ. They don't know the Holy Spirit. But also, there's an aspect of this where they don't know what they don't know also. Now, you, in the full understanding of Scripture, uh, bringing this to bear on, say, texts like Romans chapter 1, where Paul says people are without excuse, that, that everybody knows certain things and you cannot not know them simply by virtue of the fact that you live in God's universe. And so how... How do we harmonize these things? Well, the idea is that on the one hand, there are things, yes, that you know, but guess what they do with that knowledge? Those disconnected from Christ, they suppress that truth in unrighteousness, which produces this ignorance that Paul is talking about here. They don't know. And they don't know what they don't know, and there's a sense in which they don't want to know what they don't know. And so that's one aspect, the ignorance that's in them. But then it goes further and it says, due to the hardness of heart. Ah, and now we get to the proverbial heart of the matter. You see, this is a moral problem. It's a heart problem. 
the hardness of heart here is that uh, is is the thing that has produced the ignorance that has led to futility of their mind, darkness of their understanding, alienated from the life of God. And so what happens is the mind begins to pursue all of these meaningless thoughts. They refuse to give consideration to God, darkness in their understanding. And also there's this aspect of they don't know what they don't know, but they they are just filling their minds up with anything and everything other than God. To the point that they're so full of the futility and the ignorance that there's no room for God. And again, that, that leads to them being excluded from those divine privileges and blessings like life. And of course here, eternal life is in view. Many years ago, Ed Ames sang the song, and one of the lines goes, If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? And the chorus provides the answer. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That if this spiritual condition, and we're not even done with verse 19, but if this spiritual condition would be overcome, it will only be through the power of God. You see, he goes on here in verse 19, he says that they have become callous, they're beyond feeling. Habitual sin has led them to this hard-hearted, hardened place. And, and listen, there is nothing that you and I, in our own power, and our own understanding, have that can get through that hardness. We need to understand, and don't misunderstand, pray by all means. Preach the gospel with all boldness and fervency, but recognize that you in and of yourself don't have the power to overcome this. It is God's power which will overcome the callous hard-heartedness. It is God's power and His Word that will break through the futility of their mind and it will be the light of the gospel that illuminates the darkness of their understanding. And it is only God Himself who can provide the life Spiritual life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They've become callous, verse 19. They've also given themselves up in or to sensuality. Another distinction here. The Christless life is one that is tied up in moral depravity. The sensuality here has to do with um, disordered desires. And, and the idea here, they've, they've given themselves up. They have thrown in the towel. That's the idea. They, they've, they've given up. They've thrown in the towel. And, and so they've, they've given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And the idea here of greedy, of course, is... Uh, well, they want more, more, more. And, and it, it shows us the true nature of sin. Sin is never satisfied. And it never satisfies either. And so the craving for more, 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 
the, that's the greedy aspect here. They are greedy for every kind of impurity, which is connected to the sensuality aspect of this as well. This is in perfect agreement with Paul elsewhere, say in Romans chapter 6, for example. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. That's what sin does. It does not get better. Humans disconnected from Christ only go from bad to worse. They go from lawlessness to lawlessness. They are greedy for every kind of impurity. And And this is what has, has been known for, for years, is that, well, it's, it's kind of like Pringles, right? Once you pop, the fun don't stop. Or it's like Lay's chips, bet you can't eat just one. That, that's what sin is like. And so, you know, people talk about well, marijuana is a, a gateway drug. It's the gateway to other harder things. Or, you know, an individual may have their secret stash of those magazines tucked away, hidden away at home. That doesn't satisfy, and I've got to go online. I've got to look up these certain websites, and, and then that doesn't satisfy. I've got to go find a person. And it, it leads to more and more lawlessness. This is the nature of sin. It's greedy. It will take you further than you thought it would until eventually... You hit rock bottom going, how would I get here? Sin, it takes you on this ride, and it doesn't let you go. That's where Christ makes all the difference. The Christless life here in verses 17 through 19 is now contrasted with the Christ-like life. You see, God has gifted His church with all these gifts. Christ has gifted His church with all these gifts in order to Equip us so that we might grow up into Christ. So that we might be Christ-like. And so, verse 20, but, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And again, this is the difference Christ has made. You here is emphatic. You Christians in Ephesus, sure. At Davis Park, absolutely. You, that's not the way you learned Christ. Learned here at Points back to conversion. Of course, our learning of Christ doesn't stop there. It continues throughout our lives. But they, what is it to, to learn Christ? What does it mean? It, came, it means they, they came to know Christ. They heard the gospel. They received Him. They allow His teachings to shape their lives. And their lives now are radically changed because they've come in contact with the risen Christ. You see, when a person learns Christ, we see that they can't live like they used to. You see, they behold Christ in all of His beauty and all of His glory, and they say, I, I can't live like that anymore. They look upon the crucified Christ and see that it is my sins that led Him to this death on a cross. And they say, how can I want what put my Lord on that cross? You've learned Christ, and so this has impact 
upon, uh, again, every aspect. All, all those things that we saw there, it goes back to you must no longer walk. That, that's the no longer part of this. And so you, uh, your thinking is no longer futile. You're no longer in spiritual darkness. You're no longer alienated or separated from life with God. You're no longer greedy for impurity. And, and now let's say it in a positive way. When it comes to the futility of their minds, Christians are now to think God's thoughts after him. When it comes to being dark and in our understanding, no, Christians, we've been illuminated by the light of God's truth. You hear the psalmist saying, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When it comes to being alienated from life with God, no, Christians have been brought to life with God, and now we do live life with God. Whereas we were given over to depravity, now Christians have given themselves over to the pursuit of holiness and the ongoing process and progress of sanctification. That is looking like Christ and living for Christ in every aspect. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Again, this is the difference Christ makes in life. Verse 21, assuming you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Again, assuming you heard, that, that points to when they, they heard the gospel, they were taught in Him. Uh, again, pointing back to conversion, they've, they've learned Christ, they've been taught Christ, they've heard about Christ. But then also there's the present reality that the truth is in Jesus. And it's very interesting the way that Paul phrases this. Because normally when Paul talks about Jesus, he talks about Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus or something like that. Here it's just Jesus. And the idea here seems to be that Paul is pointing these Christians and even us to the historical Jesus of Nazareth. And how the truth is in him. And of course, all the, the things that Jesus, he, he came full of grace and truth, John says in John chapter 1 of his gospel. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14 and verse 6. And, and here is the present reality. Truth is in Jesus. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians chapter 2 that, in Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That when it comes to truth, all truth belongs to Him. It's His truth, all of it. And, and as, it is out of this fact that truth is in Jesus that Paul begins to unpack a, a threefold step here or, or, or three stages of what it looks like to live or to walk the normal Christian life. But it's very interesting, in, in this past mon Monday night uh, on, on the broadcast on the Davis Park Church of Christ YouTube channel, I, I broke down in, in more detail specifically what Paul seems to have in mind here. I believe he is appealing to the historical Jesus and specifically to the Jesus story uh, that, that we find in the Gospels now. And specifically, it seems he has Luke 9 and verse 23. And so I'll invite you, you can go watch that on the YouTube channel if you want to deep dive in this. But, but briefly what it looks like is Jesus in Luke 9 verse 23 says that if he, says, he said to all, anyone who come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross, and follow me. And so you have this threefold, these three stages, if you will, these threefold steps, and Paul, it seems he's leaning into that. You deny yourself. Well, here he says in verse 22, you put off, you take off the old self. The old self is like a, a stinking, stained garment that you've got to take that thing off and just ah, get rid of it, right? It's so dirty, you can't even wash it. You just have to burn that thing, right? Just get rid of it. Throw it away. Put off the old self. You, you deny yourself. And then you take up your cross, and, and that could be related here to the being renewed in the spirit of your minds. The ancient Near Eastern world looked upon the cross, and it was a, a torturous form of death reserved for the lowliest, worst criminals. We look at the cross, and we see the means for our salvation and forgiveness and redemption because it was no common criminal. It was the Lord of glory who was crucified in our place. Renewal of the spirit of your minds. You don't think about things. And then follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Put on the new self. Put on the, this... this uh, put on Christ even. He's, he's the new man, the new self, the perfect man. That seems to be what Paul is doing. He's pointing us back to the Jesus story. He's saying, I didn't, get, I didn't just come up with this. I got it from Jesus. Take up your cross daily, by the way. It's very interesting here, the, that second step in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's a present tense thing. That's, that's the ongoing reality. We are always being renewed. Daily, if you will, being renewed in the spirit of our minds. But there is an aspect of this where all of these are supposed to be done daily. You, you deny yourself daily, you take up your cross daily, you follow Jesus daily in the same way. You, daily, you have to make a clean break with that old self because guess what the old self wants to do? That, that, um, he says here, you put off your old self. Notice that. Our old self is still, the flesh is still hanging around. And if it could, it will reach up that cold, dead, lifeless hand and take control of the steering wheel of our life, as was mentioned earlier, right? So daily, you have to make that clean break with your old self. Daily, you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Daily, you have to put on the new self of Christ. This is, again, a day in and day out, Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon, Saturday night process in terms of our holiness. And so... The old self, put off your old self, that belongs to verses 17 through 19. All that stuff that we've talked about already, that's the old self. He says here, it belongs to your former manner of life. Why we, we don't get to pop our collar and walk around like we're someone. God saved me because I'm so good. Yeah, right. You are right there with the rest of humanity. You have that former life as well. And it is only because of the grace of God that's what's, it's only because of Christ. That's, he's the one who's made all the difference. And so it belongs to your former life. You have to set that aside. You, uh, and, and also, it is corrupt through deceitful desires. Notice this. The corruption. Those desires, they trick you. And again, that goes back to the deceptive nature of sin. Uh, it goes back to sin. It'll take you farther than you want. It it never satisfies and, and has never satisfied itself. Those desires are deceitful. 
that you think that you need what you want. Well, not necessarily. They will only cause disappointment and, well, corruption, Paul says here. And those desires, that, that, that old self is corrupt, according to those deceitful desires. But also, verse 23, the second stage, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It is a present, ongoing thing, but also, very interesting, it's a passive voice verb, which means that it is God who's doing the renewal. This is similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, where the transformation that takes place, God is the one who's transforming us. Uh, he's the one who's changing and shaping. And, and so, again, this is the work of God in renewing the spirit of our minds. And now, again, we're able to think God's thoughts after him. Um, and, and no doubt this work of God is made possible by the Holy Spirit, who's now living within us, uh, who is, is, he is dwelling within us in conjunction with the word of God that we have. And then finally, put on, verse 24, the new self. Uh, the old self, that was yours. The new self you get from God. Uh, the, the new self uh, here is created after the likeness of God. It seems like Paul has uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, he also may have in mind here uh, Genesis chapter 5. Uh, verses uh, 1, 2, uh, and, and also 3 here can be in view. Genesis 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. You see, Adam, he bore that perfect likeness that was uh, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay? Verse 2, male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Notice this, though. Here, here's the shift. You ready? Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. You see, that's the thing is that likeness of God that we were created in, when Adam and Eve sinned, that divine image, that divine likeness was marred because of sin. It was damaged. It was corrupted. It was broken. Not erased. Not completely gone. It's still there. It's just damaged, broken, marred because of sin. And so what we inherit from Adam, as it were, is that, that brokenness. We see it played out day in and day out, the world over. And so Adam, all of his sons and daughters are in his likeness. We now have that uh, broken likeness of God, which is all the more reason why we need to go to Christ, because he's the only one who can restore that. What Adam lost in Eden, Christ has restored in his work and by what he has done. And so we put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And, and there's so much here concerning this. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 29, talks about that when God created man, he created man, he made man upright. The word there for upright could also be understood as righteous. That when Adam was created, 
he was created with this righteousness. That is, uh, he had God's law. You may eat of all these trees, but you cannot eat of this one tree, right? That was, that was God's law. He had it, and uh, in, in relation to God, he had a moral standing with God that could be improved upon by obeying God. Hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't stay that way. The rest of verse 29 in Ecclesiastes 7 says, but they have sought out many schemes. These schemes are uh, deviations from God's law. It is, it's, well, it goes right back to the original temptation. You will be like God knowing good and evil, or as someone has said, you will play at God defining good and evil. And so it goes. We deviate from God's law. We make up our own law as we go. Adam, at the beginning, he disobeyed God. He broke the law that God had given him. However, again, what Adam lost is restored in Christ. Christ came, and he perfectly fulfilled the law, specifically the law of Moses, a more detailed uh, and uh, fleshed-out law, as it were. Christ is perfectly obedient to the law of God. Not only, by the way, did Jesus not violate the law, he kept the law perfectly. You need both of those aspects. Because it's not just enough not to sin, but also there's the active obedience to the law of God. Perfectly, flawlessly, Jesus keeps that. Which, by the way, none of us have done. That's the bad news, and we know it. We've broken God's law. And so it is the righteousness of Christ that we need. Paul in Philippians 3 talks about, I don't want to be found with my own righteousness. I want Christ's righteousness. That is imputed or, or credited to me. God looks at my account and he says, I'm counting Christ's righteousness to you. That's this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, but also holiness when God created Adam. There was no corruption. There was no imperfection in Adam. Adam was pure. He was created in God's image and likeness. He was set in the garden, set apart for a work to do. He was to work and keep the garden, we read in Genesis 2 and verse 15, which, by the way, shows us work's not a bad thing. It's not the result of a curse, okay? The curse makes work harder, but work was a good gift from God at the beginning. That was for free. Um, he was holy unto God. Adam was, unfortunately, again, he broke God's law. He sinned and therefore was corrupted. He was imperf Imperfection was found within him. Impurity was found within him. But Christ came. And he is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. Hebrews 7 and verse 26 tells us. He's free from all defilement. And now we are called to be holy as he is holy. The holiness that Adam lost, Christ has reclaimed. And then not only created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness, by the way, often found together. Luke 1, 75, Acts 3, verse 14 are a couple of places there where you see righteousness and holiness coupled. But it's in true righteousness and holiness. True. True. When God created Adam, there was no falsehood in him. He had full access with his unfallen mind to the truth that God had given him, his law. Which is just a, it's a fascinating thing to think about. 
the unfallen capacities of the mind of Adam before sin comes into view. But then he's tempted. He's deceived. Well, Eve was deceived. Adam goes in eyes wide open. He believes the lie of Satan. He sacrifices truth for the lie. But then again, but Christ came. He comes full of grace and truth. He himself is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no deceit found in his mouth, 1 Peter 1, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, verse 22. And Paul has just affirmed here that in that the truth is in Jesus. Again, by the way, I didn't emphasize this. All of this is focused on Christ. Christ is mentioned at least four times here in verses 20 and 21. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about Him, you were taught Him as the truth is in Jesus. Everything is coming back to Jesus. And so when it comes to truth, what Adam sacrificed in that moment of temptation, Christ has reclaimed. And so now we love the truth and we live by the truth that is in Jesus. This is the new self that we are called to put on to make a clean break with sin and to put on this new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here before us is the, the two ways. Wisdom literature talks about two ways often. And here's Paul talking about the, the Christ-less life on the one hand and the Christ-like life on the other. And we see just how bleak and dark the picture is when we're disconnected from God, when we are without Christ in this world. It is, it is hopeless. Just what he talked about back in chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strange as the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here he's shown us also the cognitive impact that the fall has had on humanity's collective thinking, our minds, our understanding. And although sin has driven us out of our minds, Christ can put us back in our right mind. Now, where do we go from here? Verses 25 through 32, which we'll pick up next time. is going Again, Paul is going to get very specific about how this now applies to our lives. But until then, Put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and put on the new self. And all this comes from our God in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so we say, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's commit this to prayer. We are so grateful Father, that we have learned Christ, we've heard, we've been taught in Him, that through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, we come to see the truth that is in Christ. Father, the, the flesh fights against us, the world is set against us, the devil and all of our spiritual adversaries come against us. So, Father, we pray that 
by your Spirit within us, you would enable us to continually put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new self. This new self that comes to us through Christ, and that we would pursue righteousness and holiness and truth with all of the strength that you provide. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.